Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome back to God's Planning. I am Father Gregory Pine, joined here by Father Jacob Burton Jancic. How are things? I'm well. How are you? Um, I'm doing well. He hesitates. Oh, no, that's not the answer. <laughs> no, I got nervous when you said joined here by because you paused for a second. And then I thought, should I say my name? Is he going to say my name? And then he said my name. So You never know. It's a sign of a good host that he makes the other party uncomfortable within three seconds of the program beginning. So there you have it. Accomplished. Nailed it. Okay, perf. So uh, we are here back for another episode of God's Planning. And um, we are, let's see, in the month of May, uh, a month dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary, to her intercession. Uh, it's a month dedicated, hopefully, to warmer weather and to less of a pandemic and to other good associated things. Um, so the end of the school year for many college students um, and perhaps maybe a little bit of return, return to normalcy here during these summer months. Um, so uh, let's see what's on the docket. Um, for Tomistic Institute stuff, we're still doing quarantine lectures. We're actually starting a new thing called Aquinas 101 Live. So we've had these Aquinas 101 videos that we've been airing for the past, I don't know, maybe nine months. And now we're going to do like Aquinas 101 Live, where um, you'll have a couple of videos, as it were, that have come out in the past. And then you'll have an opportunity to kind of go deeper with the speaker on those videos. So the speaker will give like a little 20 minute presentation about some overarching theme and then have extended time for questions for those who are enrolled in the course or not necessarily enrolled in the course. So I'm going to give the first one uh, on Thursday next. Uh, so this would be uh, Thursday, May 21st, uh, which is the anniversary of my ordination. So um, is that a Thursday? Ah, it's the yeah. 20th. Yeah, Wednesday is the 20th. Okay, Dick. But okay. Father Gregory was ordained a year before me, so still earlier. Than there me. you have it. It was actually one day. Never mind. Okay, here we go. So, um, so yeah, we're going to do that on uh, May 21st, uh, which should be good. And I'm going to speak about some of the first few videos in the series. So St. Thomas, St. and Scholar, which is just kind of background on St. Thomas. And then um, like what he wrote, how you kind of come to appreciate the Summa and how to read an article of the Summa. So it'll be a basic introduction into how to dive into St. Thomas, who can at first blush be a little bit intimidating. So that's something new, TI. Um, other things, house things, vocation office things. Vocation office, we're kind of, we're at the point here in the year, we're kind of in a lull, just mm -hmm. getting into summer. We don't do a ton during the summer. Student brothers are gone. People are like at the beach. I'm not at the beach, but other people are. So we're, we're kind of like at the end of our calendar year, but gearing up for the fall, um, looking, you know, hopefully COVID won't be destroying all of our plans like mm. they have for the last 60 years. But, uh, <laughs> you know, looking forward to the fall vocation weekends, fall events. So that's, that'll come quickly enough. But yep. summer's time, kind of a time for us to recenter, refocus. So we're doing that. Yep. Um, some little projects kind of on the horizon. So, mm. you know, kind of standard, standard things. That's it. Totes. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's get to it and uh, dive into our topic for today. We're going to talk about Christianity and freedom. So in the world around us, or as they dramatically say at the beginning of most movie trailers, in a world, um, dot, 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 and then they fill in some other thing that's the necessary backstory to some catastrophic event, which you hear us to solve. We should pay for someone to say that for you next time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sign them up. Uh, we'll pay zero dollars, zero cents. No, we'll double your pay. Um, okay, just kidding. So um, in a world uh, where people have a great desire for, uh, a great hunger and thirst for liberty, it's important to kind of get freedom right. So 
Yeah, maybe maybe we can talk just a little bit about what the prevailing uh, or the kind of modern concept is of what it means to be free. Um, so what's on offer? Like when people talk about wanting to be free, what do they typically have in mind? I think there's, when we think about it, there there's kind of a, a I don't know. I was going to say double-edged sword. I don't know if that's the right metaphor or image, but we're going to stick with that. So that way I'm not kind of thinking about it like I am now. So we're just going to move <laughs> on. Uh, when, we, when we think about freedom, and, and one is from the sort of in, external kind of realities that impinge on us, and the other is, I think, has to do with kind of our internal reactions or approach to things. So yeah. when I think of the external, I, I often think of like the... Um, pro-abortion kind of movement like my body my choice that the idea that nothing that that nothing ought to impinge my freedom from the outside that i am an autonomous individual who ought to be able to make decisions make choices about whatever i want whether it's something you know more grave like you know sort of abortion or even just like choosing food where i want to live how i want to structure my day what i want to put in into my body who i want to hang out with all these things that that nobody at some point we kind of become adults we're no longer children and like we don't need parents or people or like the, the sort of white patriarchy telling us what to do, whatever that may represent from the outside. The other is then kind of the internal, I think, approach or reaction to these things of, well, how do I then, how, how am I able to make decisions? What, what in me is freeing me or um, keeping me kind of bound to, to sort of, um, limits that would impinge on my freedom what are kind of the internal glass ceilings so perhaps these are much or perhaps these are less obvious but even just our like physical abilities emotional abilities these we can think of kind of the the, the kind of stupid cliche of like when we end a relationship it's it's not you it's me it's like that that's always a lie you usually text that <laughs> that's always a lie you're always really saying it's the other person uh but there is a reality i think to that if when we're thinking about kind of freedom of like what are we then able to do so if it's external of, of what's what limits us and the internal of what am i limited by with within myself um but all of that all of that when we're thinking about freedom um all of those things are always negative things uh, they always seem to be negative things because the idea sort of the modern contemporary notion of freedom is that one is truly free when one is um, when one is unencumbered by whether external or internal things and when one has the a billion choices to choose between that mm -hmm. there, there's no restriction on anything so the ultimate freedom would be if you were kind of in like your mind palace or in a room or whatever then you had just had with respect to let's just take a silly example like food or something to eat you know it's, ice cream, milkshakes, favorite food, mm. milkshakes. You had every single possible choice of a milkshake sitting before you. And your ultimate freedom would be that you could just choose anything that you, any of them that you wanted, wholly unencumbered. You know, you don't have to drive anywhere. You don't have to pay anything. They don't have to tell you that we can't make a milkshake with almonds in it because it'll like break the blender. That mm. happened to me and Father Gregory once. Disappointing. What was it? Uh, Joyce. Yeah. Joyce. Joyce of the UDF. Yeah. Joyce ruined my day. Yeah. Um, so all of these things that nothing would be in your way and you'd have limitless possibilities mm -hmm. is this sort of idea of freedom. And I think it's, I don't know, I'm just going to make this up, but kind of the, the enlightenment idea of the autonomous individual mm -hmm. um, still kind of, you know, st is steeped within our culture. Yeah. I want to get it. So like, I want to kind of get into the particulars, the way in which a lot of people experience both freedom and the lack of freedom or um, liberty or the absence thereof. Um, so depending on one's kind of age, state in life, etc., there are different things that strike us as big ticket items. 
So you might think uh, many people experience or you know have have debt that they need to get out from under. So say you're like applying for religious life and you have debt, or say you're you know getting married to somebody and you have credit card debt, or, you know like educational debt or credit card debt or whatever. You just have, you have a mortgage, you know, and the thing costs you X amount of dollars, and you're going to be paying three X amount of dollars over the course of the next thirty years. We experience these uh, encumbrances or burdens burdens as crushing, as oppressive. Um, you know, when we think about them too long or too much, they kind of take the wind out of our sails and prove especially depressing. And so we want to, you know, cast off the expectations attendant upon these things or, you know, refinance or declare bankruptcy or whatever, you know, we need to get away from it because that often for us is an experience of something very crushing. Another way in which people often experience it is in terms of relationships. So you might have two parties in a relationship and let's say that one of them is like, they have like greater emotional expectations of the relationship and they're kind of like trying to, um, constantly elicit some vulnerable response or some deep emotional sharing from the other party. The other party may kind of get like dragged along unwillingly for a while, but then come to the recognition that this is not what I want. Right. And then you have the phenomenon of ghosting or, you know, like holding off at arm's length, just kind of bracing for impact. And it ends up being like a very stilted relationship as a result. Um, or maybe even when it comes to making a big decision, whether it's about like, a job change or a vocation decision or something like that, oftentimes we experience the options as, um, as too much for us. It's like we wish that somebody would just make it clear that it would be determined for us. You often hear people say like, Lord, I'll do whatever you want, but just, you know, just make it known. So I think that a lot of us experience our freedom both as um, a kind of locus of dignity, but also as a very, very great responsibility that sometimes we would prefer to do without. Um, and you mentioned kind of at the end, uh, talking about how this is an inheritance of the Enlightenment. So there are a lot of, you know, kind of different notions that are at play or a lot of different philosophical understandings. And we don't need to dive too terribly deep into them. But maybe we could just talk for a little bit about, um, like, what's at the root of this? So, like, what's the understanding of human nature that underlies this? And maybe just to kind of get things going. Um, formally, it was customary to talk about form and form, like finality. There was a sense that we had a human nature and that that human nature was for something. But at a certain point in our philosophical history, we kind of lost hold of that. What, what would you say, like, what's the kind of modern understanding? Like, do we have a nature? Is it for something? How is that to be understood? Can you get any real consensus on that? Yeah, it's, you know, we, I guess, <laughs> I don't know if it's amongst just, or within just Dominican circles or theological circles or whatever, but like the, the whole sort of notion of nominalism kind of destroying the ability for us to talk about natures and, and kind of what things are. Um, and, and what that does when we, when we lose the ability, which we have lost, I think in many ways, we can just look at any of this sort of, you know, you can go on YouTube and, and look at any kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, like these, these sort of college debates, whether like conservative sort of pundits or liberal kind of pundits go onto a college campus and try to debate about X, Y, or Z. And often the sort of the debate devolves into two kind of ships passing in the night. There's not even an agreement of, of basic terms and ideas such that people could have a debate. But at least with respect to like form and finality or form and end, um, this idea that things are made for particular things and to do them in particular ways. So um, is, it seems to be something that's completely lost um, or at least, and even when people are kind of, when we, when we think about that, when we push people on that, um, that there, there's an unwillingness to even give like any ground on it. So when we're thinking about the human person, which is, you know, obviously uh, the, the most important 
thing that comes into when we're talking, you know, about our lives rather than like, what is a plant for and what's the end of a plant? It's like, okay, you know, you usually eat it or like step on the grass or something like that. <laughs> like a person has, has a little bit more impact than that. Um, but the, to ask the question of like, what is human nature? What is the form of man? And what is man made for? What are we made for? Um, that, that's, that, that even, that even way, that think, way of thinking doesn't even enter into sort of like popular public discourse or even our own often, mm -hmm. uh, which, which then renders us really incapable of asking the questions of, um, of choice and of choices in our lives with respect to being free and, and choosing things. Because if we don't know the end of something, if we don't know how something behaves and what it's made for, um, then we're kind of at a loss when we're, when we're asking the questions of then, why do I do X or Y, or why don't I do this or that? Or does this actually sort of constitute or contribute to my functioning or behaving well or choosing well? Um, when we're all saying that, you know, this person is, is made in this way and is made for this thing, and then this person is something completely different and has no relation to person A, person B is wholly different, person C is wholly different. Um, we're, kind of, we're kind of at a loss to say, well then, okay, what, does, what happens for people together? What can we say about the human person as, as a whole, as, as sort of a species? That kind of, kind of sounds like zoological rather than whatever. But um, without having that common ground, we're kind of, we, we do find ourselves at a loss. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people, uh, to use intersectional words, uh, might be like triggered by the thought of nature because a lot of those terms have become vexed in debates surrounding transgenderism and marriage equality. And so oftentimes it's like two people vying. And when nature is used, sometimes people's experience of it being used is that it's used as a bludgeon, right? And that it's by like benighted, backward, barbaric Christian types who just hate. Um, but I think that we can, you know, if we're good about our approach to the philosophy and we're good about hosting a dialogue with substantive exchange, we can actually build up real consensus as to what it means to have a nature and the purpose for which one has a nature. Because like, I think people recognize that there are some things that you do and there's some things that you don't do depending on what you're dealing with. So just like to build up um, a kind of basic understanding, like for instance, okay, so we have teeth and we want those teeth to look decent enough because we're Americans with respect to the British out there. Apparently that is not as highly prized. Um, that's a joke. I'm just kidding. Okay. So, um, so there are certain ways that we take care of our teeth and there are certain ways that we don't take care of our teeth. So we have like enamel, which is pretty, you know, good, but you shouldn't have a ton of refined sugar because you can, you know, you can do serious harm to your enamel or you wouldn't like mouthwash with Coca-Cola and then go to bed because it would start to rot your teeth. That would be silly. So people are like, okay, yeah, like teeth are for eating. And as a result of which they should be tolerably healthy because it hurts to eat with unhealthy teeth. So I should do what is necessary to keep my teeth healthy. And as a result of which, you know, I'll floss once a day, I'll brush two or three times a day. I will take all the necessary measures and use a soft toothbrush, even though it's infinitely more satisfying to like to brush with a medium toothbrush, but apparently that like, hurts like your gums. With bleeding gums. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, real satisfying. All right. So like, so here's a very like silly, basic, simple thing talking about teeth, but then we can do that at like a next level and a next level and a next level. But before we get there, let's take a quick break and leave you in suspense. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. Welcome back to God's Planning. I am Father Gregory Pine, again, joined here by Father Jacob Bertrand, and we're talking about the notion of freedom. 
So we're, we kind of led off with a description of many of our personal experience of how freedom registers in our lives, um, how we tend to feel its weight or feel its responsibility. And then just talking a little bit about how modern notions of freedom may place certain emphases and also suffer from certain de-emphases. And, and we talked a little bit about the understanding of nature, which underlies that. Now, we're kind of moving towards the notion of freedom that's proposed in, you know, kind of traditional Christianity. And in order to get to that vision, we're building up a, a picture of nature. So we just talked about like a basic example of what a nature is and how one ought to treat the thing. But let's talk now about human nature. So like, what is it, what it, when we talk about a human person, how do we define it? And what does it mean for a human person to act and to act well? And how does that person come to its perfection? So thoughts. Yeah, I think Father, just before the before before well before the break, Father Gregory was talking about that example of, of like the nature of teeth and what it's used for and how we treat it and then how how we um how how we don't treat our teeth like brushing away our gums before <laughs> before bed. So as as he was saying that you know silly basic example, we can kind of move up the level of hierarchy, arriving at like us. Um, so the question of what what is uh, what constitutes our nature and then what kind of constitutes our freedom in that nature is is the foundation here of of being under of being able to understand uh this this sort of difference between the 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 christian um understanding of freedom and sort of the secular enlightenment postmodern gen z millennial whatever mm. kind of <laughs> all of those things combined together all existentialist um so i you know we i think i think that we have to make this argument or i like to make this argument in a sort of or at least approach it in kind of an atheological way so mm -hmm. uh because i'm um, not because i'm anti-theology or that kind of thing but because we need not use something that not everybody agrees with in order to get everybody on board yeah um so i think that's important and i you know to steal from saint thomas aquinas he does this kind of brilliantly when he when he's getting into his moral treatise asking questions about you know what it is that you know that constitutes a good act or what motivates a good act in, in a person. Um, Thomas, St. Thomas doesn't go into a sort of like you're creating the image of God. I mean, he's done this work already, but it's, it really, it really comes down to the question of happiness of what constitutes um, human happiness, how, you know, we, we can all agree that what we do, um, we do in the pursuit of the good or in the pursuit of something that fulfills us, that makes us happy. Um, and we need not be a Christian. We need not be a Catholic to agree with that. Um, so this is a fundamental reality of our human nature that we are that our will moves towards the good moves towards what's attractive or at least what we per perceive to be good um, and in that we we can talk about our being free or not free in our in as far as we're able to pursue that good and as far as we're able to pursue happiness or the thing that make it makes us happy whether that be like brushing away our gums or like choosing a milkshake you mm. know the, the two examples mm -hmm. that we've used so far um, so I, I think that's, for us, that's an important spot, whether we're thinking about our own lives or even like debating with other people, you know, when we say I'm a Catholic and they say you hate people and these, all these sorts of people and you're oppressive and you will just want the church to kind of to, to bear down and tell you what to do. And well, it's, well, let's take a step back, you know, let's, let's find this common ground of what are we after? We're after happiness. What constitutes this happiness and how do we move towards it? I think is a really great place for us to, to start, at least in, in this like nature, human freedom thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When St. Thomas asks the question of like, what is our final end? He goes through a bunch of different options. So like he starts with wealth, for instance. And um, he says, you know, like, 
artificial wealth is for purchasing, right? So it refers you beyond itself. And then he says natural wealth, like food, drink, clothing, it says for the body, but the body's for the soul. So again, it refers you beyond yourself uh, or beyond itself. And then he goes through like honor. He says honor is principally in the one honoring, you know, it, you don't feel honored unless there are people there to honor you. And then he talks about power and he says power is poised for action, but it does not necessarily indicate that you will use it well. And he goes through all of these different options and basically says that each of these options, whether um, you know, wealth, honor, fame, power, um, like sensible goods, whatever, that they all refer you beyond. And he eventually comes to the term that, um, you know, God alone is, is adequate for the fulfillment of our nature. He's basically saying like, we have minds with which to know, we have hearts with which to love, and our mind is not satisfied with one noble thing, nor is our heart satisfied with one lovable thing. And so we're only ever going to find rest or contentment or real happiness in um, what is infinitely knowable, what is infinitely good which is to say truth himself or goodness himself. But he gets to that by a philosophical argument. And so the, the vision that he has kind of um, built out of happiness demands of us a certain response. So it's a matter of saying there's something out there by which we are perfected. And our responsibility is to act in accord with that good. But the fact is that like our minds can know tons of things and our hearts can be trained on tons of things. So how is it that we can focus on the one thing by which we will be built up? And already here we see like, we're dealing with an understanding of freedom, which is um, at least in tension with the modern notion of freedom. Because with the modern notion of freedom, it's I should be able to do all kinds of things. I should be able to roll up to the UDF. I should be able to look at the 134 flavors and I should be able to like have a small little spoonful of each of them just so that I can say I did. But with respect to, you know, like this now Christian notion that's forming, I need to be able to find what is best, what builds me up most perfectly um, in order to respond generously to that. So here already we're talking about we're talking about virtue. We're talking about a lot of different kind of involved yeah. concepts. One of the things here that's um, that is kind of has to be reoriented in our thinking is with respect to freedom. Is is where 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 does freedom sit in this? Mm -hmm. um, is freedom something that's external in the sense that like um, freedom consists in having a ton of choices that are outside of me, or is freedom something that is internal in my ability to choose the thing that will make me happy. Um, and that, I mean, perhaps I, I think is, a, is an important kind of shift because we have to look at the, the freedom is, is less of a sort of thing that I kind of put myself into, right? This, this sort of vista of infinite possibilities, wholly unencumbered, um, and much more about my, my sort of trained ability and father father gregory just mentioned virtue and kind of trained in in the virtue of choosing the good thing and not being distracted by the by the, like the the sort of less than ideal or kind of garbage choices around you know if to use again that sort of ice cream kind of example you know if you know if you have a favorite ice cream you don't need a million choices you just need that one choice um, and you just need to know how to how to get that. So that's a, a silly example. But, you know, if we kind of move up again, the hierarchy of sort of importance, when we think about happiness of like fulfillment, um, we as human beings, uh, we know that we don't need to like, I don't know, I was trying to think of like what fulfills some like plant, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a stupid example. But we know that like, as, as like some animals eat grass, we know that we don't need to eat grass for um, to be fulfilled to be satisfied, even it kind of in like a in a, in a hunger kind of mode. Um, so we can rule that off the table. We can take the rule that out. We can take that off the table. Um, this eliminates a choice, but does that eliminate our freedom? 
or does that give us greater freedom to pursue the things that do satisfy? Um, the Christian idea here is, is that the person, um, when, we, when we understand the nature of a person, what we are, and when we understand what we're moving towards, namely the God, fulfillment in God, um, we could talk about this in terms of happiness or different things, that those things that do not constitute or do not contribute to the pursuit of that goodness and that happiness are not actually um, good things, but it's kind of distractions from the end. And our being distracted from those, from that through that kind of plethora of options, actually makes us less free, mm -hmm. less able to pursue that kind of good that we're after. I, I, I remember from you know, our, our moral theology courses, I, the, the example of a musician or an athlete, um, and I think is really helpful here. So like the example of like a musician, a pianist, you, know, you go to a concert to hear this, this guy, lady play um, you know, an incredible piece of music, and they've practiced for years and years and years, and they can play this music, you know, and it's the most beautiful thing you've heard. Mm -hmm. um, but they've started with the very basics, you yeah. know, the scales, the drills, um, the, the more simple music, playing all this, and have trained and have drilled and practiced. Um, the free musician is not the musician who is untrained or who has sort of never kind of honed their skills or, or kind of eliminated uh, their, you know, sort of bad choices of music or these sorts of things. But the person who is, who is sort of the, 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 the expert because of, their, because of their ability to train and practice and, and now are most free to flourish in that art of music. You can think the same thing of the athlete. Yeah. Um, so for us, when we're thinking in the Christian conception to step away from kind of the secular notion, our freedom really lies in our ability to pursue the good unencumbered by the millions of other distracting options. Yeah, I, I, I mean, like, I think we should stick with some of these images because they're very applicable. Um, you talk about having a variety of options and almost being paralyzed by those options. I think anyone who's ever been to a diner with a 16 page menu has felt that. And you just kind of go for your thing, you know, you go for your choice. But also like to kind of play off this uh, image here with of the musician, but we can also talk about the athlete. I think a lot of us, um, for instance, with running, okay, so like jogging, a lot of people have it in their mind that they should do some cardio in order to be physically fit, right? Heart health, you know, weight maintenance, whatever. Um, but a lot of people only ever experience running as drudgery. But for the great runner, he kind of gets beyond the point of drudgery and comes to discover it as something delightful. And this isn't just like a matter of brain chemistry and endorphins. It's a matter of him feeling strong. It's a matter of him feeling fit. It's a, it's a matter of him feeling, as you know, Eric Little says in the movie Chariots of Fire, God's pleasure, you know? God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. There's a sense of like, uh, you have the growing conviction that this is the very thing for which you were made. And that as you step into that, as you kind of mature in that identity and hone the skills necessary for doing it excellently, you feel, you know, like God's pleasure in doing the thing. And I think that like, you know, you could say a similar thing about the art of soldiery. Uh, the reason for which a soldier drills and trains isn't so that he becomes an automaton and just a blind follower of orders. It's because on the field of battle, there are various eventualities that may arise, and he will have kind of infused the reasons of his drill sergeants, of his commanders, of his generals, into his very members such that he can respond to whatever stimulus arises in a way that's spontaneous, in a way that's engaged, and in a way that, that makes for, you know, like him prosecuting well the discipline of war. So here, what we're talking about is not a matter of having tons of options and being paralyzed by them, but a matter of being fixed on the good 
so that we are empowered to pursue it well, stably and permanently in such a way that it becomes easy, that it becomes prompt, that it becomes joyful, which is just to say that our freedom is something that only kind of arises as the, as the result of a life lived virtuously, um, a life lived kind of progressing towards the goal um, with these uh, steady incremental gains. Um, so yeah, maybe just like a final word then about ways that people can apply this notion of freedom practically in their lives as we wrap things up. Yeah, I think often um, we, we can look at, or people who don't practice the faith can look at the faith as a, as a sort of, as, as the church as kind of an oppressive reality, that it limits human freedom, that it takes away options, that it seems to want to control and to sort of tell you what to do in your bedroom and in your private life and all on, on your Sunday mornings and all of these things. Um, and, and I think sometimes we can think that too. We kind of, you know, like, well, sometimes it'd just be nice to like not have to do this or like, just like, you know, not, not that we want to like fall into sort of debauchery and, and like moral sin and that kind of thing. But like, it's sometimes nice not to worry, perhaps. I mean, I think it's a trick, but um, the, the reality is though, is that, that the Christian life, the life of a disciple and the life that the church kind of guides us in is are, are kind of are serve as as the training boundaries or like the bumpers in in our pursuit of the good um our our hearts our souls because of original sin because of our own sin are, are kind of tumultuous they're all over our passions see something they want it for a second and like the next second they want something else and they want something else and there are distractions but by the grace of god um and through the sort of the teachings and the protections of the church uh we can see that uh, that it, it kind of carves out that straight and narrow for us. It, it explains to us that there are certain things that don't contribute and don't build up what is good for our being, for, for our well-being, for our souls, for our bodies, these sorts of things. And these ought not be seen as a limitation, but as but as a way of saying of, of recognizing this is what constitutes human goodness and flourishing. And my will, my pursuit of the good need not be distracted by, by those things that would take me off course, um, which allows us to be more free to pursue the ultimate goods and the, the goods here that we can, you know, these kind of earthly goods that we can enjoy in, in virtuous ways. Um, so, yeah, rather than, rather than kind of thinking uh, that, that, the, that somehow Christianity imposes regulations that are um, sort of unnatural to the human person, by sort of taking away the vista of options. Um, the Christian says, well, no, I know who my option is. I've chosen him because he's first chosen me. Now let me clear out all the garbage that would distract me and pursue him with everything I have. And we're most free when we're able to get around, get over, get away from all of that would distract us from him. Yeah, and in the end, I mean, the way that St. Paul describes it, for freedom, Christ has set us free, or he speaks about as a kind of freedom in Christ. So what we want is a fixity in the Lord. You know, the thing of which we want to be most certain is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the source and the end of our freedom. And it's for this reason that, you know, Pope Benedict wrote at the beginning of Davis Caritas est, and being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, which is to say it's not a matter of just following the rules well or getting the right answer, right? Rather, it is an event, an encounter with a person um, which imparts to life a new horizon and a decisive direction, which is to say that like when we are fixed in the Lord, when we are fixed in Christ, and we have hopes to be yeah, truly free and free indeed. So with that, we're going to wind things up. Thanks so much for having joined us on this most recent episode of God's Planning. We're delighted that you did. Uh, please share the podcast uh, if you would, you know, tweet it out and send it on to a friend whom you think might benefit from it. 
And then, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to chatting with you again next time on God's Planning. God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.